Let's pray. Almighty maker of heaven and earth, we come before you once again asking for you to do a miracle in our hearts. We are fallen and frail, weak and distracted. We are prone to idolatry. Indeed, our hearts, as one man said, are idle factories. Lord, we know there's an enemy that wages war against our souls every day. And so we come before you, the God of truth, who sent your Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who sent the Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, who leads us into all truth, most of all to the one who is the truth, Jesus. And so, Lord, in this last time together tonight, as we open your word together, I pray that the Spirit that inspired these words would be powerfully at work in each of our hearts and minds, bringing lasting change. Lord, thank you for what you've been doing this week. It's been so evident in so many ways. Lord, I, I think, as I heard a dear brother pray this morning, that the world is forever changed because of what you've done in lives this week. I don't think the world will be the same as it would have been otherwise. I think there's going to be a ripple effect because of what you've done in lives this week that will reverberate for generations and into eternity. And Lord, I, I think we'll spend all of eternity recounting your greatness and goodness in changing lives and using lives to glorify you. So Lord, help us now as we dig into your word again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have just been delighted to be with you all this week. It, it's been so evident God is at work in the midst of challenges and obstacles and the enemy that wages war against our souls. I'm so grateful for what God has been up to. Well, tonight's message, we, we talked Monday morning about the God of truth, and then we talked Monday night about the Word of God as the truth that he's given us. And then we talked about Jesus, life and teaching, as the one who brings us the truth, is the way, the truth, and the life. And then we talked about uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, and life in our place as the truth we need in the gospel. And, and tonight we talk about the truth of the Christian life, that as we live as Christians, followers of Jesus, it doesn't certainly at all end when you stand at a meeting like this, or when you trust Jesus at a bedside with a parent when you're five, or when, as people I've known, come to Christ at the end of their rope in prison, however you come to a relationship with Jesus, that's the beginning of a relationship, which is a journey. The Bible calls it a walk very often. You start a journey with Jesus, and I want you to know the journey you are on with Jesus, if that describes you, is the greatest adventure you could ever be part of. Now, now part of the problem of the adventuresomeness of this journey is that most times it looks pretty mundane. Most times it's not the adrenaline-fueled excitement and fun of a week at Hume SoCal. Most of the time, it's getting up a little bit earlier than you would have otherwise to read your Bible. 
which meant you got to bed a little bit earlier than you would have otherwise because you wanted to get up a little early and read your Bible. It means you get on your knees and pray when you just want to dive into your list of things to do. It means you get up and you go to church even though there's some people there that annoy you and the worship team isn't quite as good as the one at Hume SoCal and so you're a little disappointed and, and you're tempted to grow weary in the mundaneness of the Christian life. But I want you to believe that God wants to work in your life far beyond your wildest imagination. And he wants to work through your life far beyond what I think any of us realize he's capable of doing. I think most Christians don't have a clue about just how much God can and wants to use them in the lives of other people. You can feel like, man, it's tough enough for me to go about this Christian journey with faithfulness and patient endurance. How in the world can I look to be a minister to others when I'm just trying to get my act together? Well, I want you to know that until you see yourself as a minister of the gospel, until you see yourself as someone who God wants to use in the lives of other people, I don't ever think you'll grow the way God wants you to. So the mundaneness of the Christian life can be wearisome, and the challenges that come our way can be, but so can the difficulty of simply walking in faithful obedience in a culture that is increasingly opposed to the Christian view of the world. I heard a man say, when I was a kid, he's my age, this guy, he said, when I was a kid, being a good Christian could get you a job. Today, being a good Christian could cost you your job. Things have changed dramatically, dramatically in my lifetime, and I want you to realize that going into whatever challenges God has for you is a wonderful adventure when you believe he is the God who's there for you, and don't think you're always aware of how he's using you. Every time I talk to anyone in youth ministry, I say, look, keep going. Just like I've said to some of the youth ministers here and the counselors, I said, keep going. I know a lot of times they don't show gratitude. I know a lot of times they're, they're not showing evidence that any of this stuff you're trying to teach them is sinking in. But trust God that it is. And I want you to learn to think the same way, that God can and wants to use you beyond your wildest imagination. And you don't always see what's going on. So I played football for 16 years. And I played at a university that um, the guys were pretty rough. They were pretty rough. I could tell you the crimes some of them were arrested for during my time at my university. Um, but I won't. But just take my word for it. They were some tough characters. And one of my best friends was one of the craziest guys on the team. He was a defensive end on the team. He was huge. He was actually a bodybuilder as well as a football player. And he was Mr. Connecticut as a bodybuilder. But he was nuts. I mean, of all the guys on my football team, he, he was the guy who would do anything. It's a, hey, Glenn, what do you think of this? And he said, well, let me try it. And he would just go do it. He's one of those guys. But Glenn was just crazy. But we were really good friends. And, and he was really intrigued by my Christian faith. But I was so different by, from those guys because I was a Christian. And although they would say to me, because of how much fun I had, they would say, Thomas, you don't need to drink. In their estimation, they needed a drink to have fun. But they saw me having fun and realized, well, I didn't need to. I wonder if they saw you guys tonight, if they would say the same thing. They would say, so they're not drunk. No, they're having fun, right? They're actually, it's actually possible to have fun without alcohol, believe it or not, right? But, but Glenn would say, to, you know, I, I remember when my 
my, uh, I was dating Donna for years, my wife I think I mentioned, and when we were in college, we were getting married right out of college when we were 24, and my friends would all say, you know, and they all knew we weren't having sex before we got married, and they thought it was the strangest thing in the world. They're like, are you okay? Is there something wrong? And, and, and then they'd find out we were getting married right out of college at 24, and they'd be like, why are you guys getting married so young? And then they'd be like, oh, right. I understand, right? And, and so it, it was just, it, it, we were just, we were weirdos, right? Yeah, you're filling everybody in, yeah. We didn't get to have sex, so they were saying, of course, you got to get married if that's what you're waiting for. So, so, but we were weird. But listen to this. So Crazy Glenn, Crazy Glenn, who was a good friend of mine, he, he never seemed to show any change or that I was having an impact on him. I would tell him about Jesus. I would, I would proclaim Christ and tell him Jesus saved me. But I knew that Glenn, one day when he was in high school, had come home and found his father not long after his father had killed himself. And so I knew Glenn, in the midst of all the, the, the machismo, had a broken heart. And so I kept talking to him because I knew there was something in there that wanted to hear the truth. And I told him the truth, even though he would laugh it off and kind of make fun of me and mock me and stuff. But I'll never forget it. I think I was out of college 15 years. And I had completely fallen out of touch with Glenn. And my phone rang one day, and I picked it up, and he said, Eric, this is Glenn. I said, Glenn, how are you? He said, well, not too good. He said, my mom, you know, she's the only family I got. She's going in for open-heart surgery tomorrow. And since I don't pray, I wanted to find somebody who did, and I don't know anybody who prays except you. And so I tracked down your phone number, and I called you to ask you to pray for me and for my mom. Fifteen years later, you never know the impact you're having on someone's life. And, and so I want to think about a few things tonight as we go to the Bible. Uh, we're going to continue to look at John. This book is that, oh, oh, by the way, it's 70s week here, right? I, am I the only person who was actually a kid in the 70s here? You want to see a picture of me in the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> Would you look at that? Middle, middle parts are back in. Middle parts are back in. Is that amazing? So there I am. I'm a, I'm a freshman in high school right there. I'm a freshman in high school right there. That, that was not a costume for Spirit Day. That was the real thing right there. So um, anyway, here we go. Um, he, we've, we've just got four points tonight I want you to understand. We're going to read some big chunks of the Bible from the Gospel of John. But I want you to be looking as we go through these passages for these main points. Jesus is life. If you're a Christian, he is your life. If you're a Christian, Jesus doesn't just enhance your life. He defines life for you. He gives life to you. He becomes your life. Everything revolves around Jesus when you become a Christian. Two, as his, we represent him. We're his ambassadors. In our lives, we rep the king. He is our king, and we represent him everywhere we go, in every situation, with our words, our actions, our thoughts, our affections, 
the way we live our lives, the way we invest our money, we are ambassadors for Jesus. Three, true followers of Jesus will be hated. One of the things I love about God and hate about our culture is God always tells the truth and there's no fine print with him. You know that term, fine print? People who want to sell you something don't tell you the whole story very often, but legally they have to put it in the fine print, but they make that print as small as they can. You ever see those commercials, like usually for drugs, when they, they tell you what the drug is, and then there are all these side effects, like your head could blow up, but they say them as fast as they possibly can at the end of the commercial. And you can't even understand it because legally they have to. We've, God doesn't play that way. I love that. He tells you the truth right up front. And in this fallen world, which is opposed to God and is under the reign of Satan, God wants you to know that if you're one of his, you'll be hated. And people will be against you. You will start fighting in a war you weren't in before. Because when you become a child of God, you also become a soldier in his army. And, and, and I just want to shoot straight with you like God does in his word about that. And finally, we need the Holy Spirit of truth. We need him to maintain Jesus as our life. We need him to represent Jesus as his ambassadors. We need him to be true followers in the midst of being hated and persecuted. The Spirit of God is the one we desperately need. So, as we dig into these passages in the Gospel of John, and I hope as we've been studying the Bible and reading big old sections of the Bible and digging into it, you're developing a greater and greater appetite for the Word of God and patience to listen to it. And not just hear a verse here and there, but, but hear big sections of the Bible so you hear it in context. And I highly encourage you to read through the whole Bible. The vast majority of Christians who say they're Christians who are adults have never read the whole Bible, which is just amazing. It takes 30 hours to get through just the New Testament. And people spend just about that on social media every week. If we could just see the scriptures as this life-giving source for us, Things would change in that department. But as we read these passages of Scripture, I want you to be looking for these four things, okay? Uh, be, be focusing in on these four things. Jesus is our li life. We're his ambassadors. We will be hated, and the Spirit of God is the key to living the Christian life. You ready? John chapter 14. Here we go. I love the Bible. Have you picked that up? I just love the Bible. Here we go. Listen to Jesus in John 14. We'll pick it up in verse 15. Here we go. John 14, 15. I wish I could read the whole gospel. We read the whole gospel of John at our church before we preached through it together aloud. We do that before we preach through books of the Bible. It's awesome. You ready? John 14, 15. Listen what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, when he says that, because of everything we've said this week, you know you don't keep his commandments so that he'll love you. You don't keep his commandments so that he'll forgive you. You don't keep his commandments so you'll be declared righteous. He did all that for you. So please, as Jesus is commanding you here to obey him and says you'll show your true love for him by obeying him, Please get out of any works mentality, any earn it mentality. That's not what's going on here. We're not leaving behind the gospel of grace when we get into the commands to obey Jesus. Yes? Okay. You show your love and that you've been forgiven and he is your life when you do what he says. I mean, can you imagine Jesus giving his life to save your life and then you saying, oh, cool, that means I get to live however I want no matter what he says. It's not going to be your conclusion, right? And so he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Be a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know I am in my Father. And you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You hear what Jesus is up to here. It's just beautiful. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Do you see how obedience to Jesus' commands is so important? It should be no surprise because the great commission he gives before he leaves is make disciples of all nations based in his authority, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So obedience of faith is core to the Christian life. That's what Jesus is clearly saying. If anyone loves me, verse 23, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, there he is, right? Point four. The Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I live with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. Do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Is that beautiful? The Spirit of God is the one who's going to enable us to live obedient lives. Demonstrating our love for Jesus. Our faithfulness to him. By simply doing what he tells us to do with our lives. Next chapter, 15, verse 18. Watch, right out of the gate, point three. Verse, chapter 15, verse 18. Here it is. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And here he is again, point four. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Do you see these themes? Jesus is our life. 
We will represent him. We'll be hated, and the Holy Spirit will be the one who enables us to do this. Two more passages. You ready? Chapter 16, starting at verse 5. Second half of verse 5. You ready? Here we go. Let's just, yeah. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, but because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen to this, guys. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying this to his followers. How could that be? Well, thankfully, he tells us. For if I do not go away, the helper, there he is again, the spirit, the parakletos, the one who comes alongside and cares for us. Another helper, one stepping into the role Jesus has been playing in the lives of his disciples throughout his earthly life. It's to your advantage. It's a better situation if I go away because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. One more passage. Chapter 17, beginning at verse 13. Oh, listen to you. Listen to those pages swishing. You're all so locked in. I'm so grateful. It's so worth it. Here we go. John 17, 13. John 17, 13. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak to the world, speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy. I've given them your word. This is Jesus speaking to the Father here. He's praying in his high priestly prayer. This is actually the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer is actually a prayer he gives to his disciples. This is the Lord's prayer as he's praying to the Father. Verse 14, I've given them your word, his us, his followers, and the world has hated them. There it is again. Point three. See what a theme this is throughout the gospel. The world's hated them because they're not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. Just as I'm not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. See, he's got us in it for a purpose, but that you keep them from the evil ones. So keep them in the world, but not of the world, overtaken by the power of Satan, but the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, make them holy. How? In the truth. There it is again. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Is that beautiful? Do you see these themes that we've, we've highlighted in the beginning throughout these passages? They're all over the place. The first one, Jesus is life. Look at what Jesus says in John 12. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That, those are strong words, but he's saying, relatively speaking, your love for Jesus needs to so outweigh your love for the world that your love for the world seems like hatred comparatively, right? If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So following Jesus in faithful, loving obedience 
not loving the world so much. James says, if you love, uh, John says that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Now, world here is something God loves and sends his son to save, but we need to realize that there is is, is a system woven in the world that's in opposition to God, and we can't love that. We can't give ourselves to it. We need to give ourselves to God, realizing that we are at war with a worldly system that wars against God's people. Jesus is our life. Listen to how Paul puts it to the Colossians. It's beautiful. If you've been raised with Christ, which is what is true of you if you've trusted him in faith, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, the place of power and prestige and authority. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, then also you appear with him in glory. You can't be too radically devoted to Jesus. You know, I have relatives who say they're Christians, but they say, you know, Eric, you're overboard. You know, you just, it's Jesus, Jesus, it's, what, what is this? it's all everything about Jesus. Can we just, you know, take a break? I had a friend, a uh, strong Christian, he started dating this woman in college, and, and she said she was a Christian, but she said, but Eric, you really annoy me. Like, Jesus is divisive. Okay, so he gets us to the Father, but why do we need to talk about him all the time? She, she even prayed before she ate, but it annoyed her that I would say in Jesus' name because that's divisive. You see, this is missing, that Jesus is the heart of our lives. He's the place, the face we see the glory of God. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who reveals the truth to us. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It doesn't mean you're some weird religious fanatic, but you will seem weird to a lot of people. And you just need to be good with that. You, know, ever, you ever see a little boy, little Jewish boy with a yarmulke on, a little skull cap? Yeah, every time I see that, I think, ah, oh, that's good. From his earliest days, this little boy needs to get used to being different. Right? We don't have something like that among Christians that we, we wear to do that, but... But we, we need it early on in our lives, in our Christian lives, just get used to being different and actually learn to love that because Jesus says we are different. We're not of the world. We've been called out of the world like he was not of the world. And so he is our life. So Jesus is our life. And we represent him. We're his representatives. We're not just his children. We're his ambassadors. This, this is how Paul puts it to the Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador does? Goes to other countries representing the, the country that he comes from and the king or the president or the prime minister that he represents. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then he gets on to doing that with the Corinthians. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Have a relationship with him through Christ. So we represent him. He is the one that we follow. We represent him. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You see, there's this idea that you can, you can be an underground Christian. You know, And there are places in the world where, where it may be wise for a time to, to not uh, make it clear who you are as a Christian. But generally speaking, we are to be very forthright and bold in our representation of Jesus. And if you don't have any ambassador role, I think there's a good reason to question whether or not your faith in Jesus is legit. If he saved your life from eternal judgment and there's nothing in you that wants others 
to, to experience that too and represent Jesus, maybe there's a good place for wondering if that's actually true for you. If you actually believe he saved your life. And, and so it should be like for Jeremiah, burning in your bones to tell others to be saved the way you have been by Jesus. We're his ambassadors. Um, and that means we represent Jesus in the truth. The truth of Jesus fundamentally, but not just, Jesus didn't just say, just preach the gospel. He said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And he says, obey everything I've commanded. So our lives are the starting point of our representation of Jesus. People should be able to look at your life and see something very different than those who don't follow Jesus. They should see a different life. Now, you don't do it for some sort of impressive show or to make yourself better than anybody else, but you get about living the Christian life so that, like my friends in college, thought I was kind of a weirdo because of my Christian values and the way I lived my life. You know, I played football overseas professionally in Europe, and they expected me to be this, this hard-partying, womanizing, cussing every other word Christian and uh, uh, football player, and I was this Christian guy who didn't do any of that stuff. And they didn't even have a category for it. I was actually in two countries on the front page of the city's newspaper in my football uniform holding my Bible because they thought it was so strange because their stereotype of, a, of a Christ, a, an American football player is, is a, a, a nutcase, right, and a, and a moral guy. And they didn't have a category for this. You can be, it doesn't take a lot to be different. Just simply being someone who says, it does what you say you're going to do. Being a man or a woman of integrity makes you different in this world. Just being kind, just being focused on other people, just being interested in other people, putting others before yourself in really simple ways can make you so different. You know what else can make you different? Deciding not to be a whiner. You know what Paul says to the Philippians? I want you to be like stars shining in a dark world. And you know how he, the first way he tells them to do it? Do all things without grumbling or complaining. It's just the American way to complain. Like, if you don't complain about your boss, you're really different than the average American, right? We always think we can do it better, and we're not getting what we deserve. And the fact is, you're not getting what you deserve, because you deserve hell if you're a Christian, and you're not getting that. And that's a wonderful thing. And so, we need, we need to be people who represent God and the truth. And I want you to know, we live in a world that is twisting truth, and suppressing truth, and distorting truth. And there, were areas of, there are areas of our life that is so counter to the way God designed things that, that to take a stand for what you believe God's way is will make you radical and make you hated. It will. Uh, but this is how the church is described. Look, if I delay, Paul says to Timothy, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Now, what's cool is we're actually in a tent that has pillars. See them? Holding this thing up, right? Even, yeah, isn't that cool? But, but um, does anybody know what a buttress is? Anybody know what a buttress is? What is a buttress? Cathedral. Yes, well, well, I actually have a picture of buttresses. They're technically flying buttresses, which is the best term in all of architecture. 
like a flying buttress. It sounds like a move in professional wrestling, a flying buttress, but it's not. You want to see what it is? Look at these flying buttresses on, outside this cathedral. Isn't that cool? Yeah. See, these, these walls. All right, we got work to do. Come on, come on. You just love the flying buttresses? Yeah. But, but look at this. Is that cool? So this, these walls are so heavy. There are pillars on the inside, but these, these um, granite uh, walls and these leaded, leaded stained glass windows are so heavy, they not only need supports on the inside, but on the outside to keep it from falling out. And that's how the Bible describes Christians, the church, a pillar and buttress of truth, that which upholds the truth to the world, centrally about Jesus, but then everything he commands. Look, I know some of you are 14, and a lot of what we've been doing this week maybe has been flying over your head. But some of you are about to go to places like Berkeley. I've talked to some of you. And Cal State Fullerton and USC. And you're going to have a philosophy class next year with a really smart philosophy prof who's going to make your head spin with stuff that she says or he says, right? And I want you to be a Christian who understands God and his ways where that doesn't confuse you. There's no area of our day that's, that's more, getting more confused in the area of sexuality and sex and what it means to be men and women. You understand how crazy it is? It, even within the LGBT community, there's all kinds of infighting. Do you know that? About, about all these definitions? Because it's getting so confusing even for the LGBT community. Because, for instance, if you can't define a woman, you can't define lesbian. Do you realize this? If you can't define a man, you can't define gay right? You, you can't be bi if there's no such thing as a man or a woman. You can't even have these categories. You know, one pastor wanted to help us understand how confusing these times are. Now, hear me. I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure there are some of you here struggling with your sexuality in some ways, and I love you, and I'm for you, and I'll talk to you and pray with you and, and work through these things just like we do all the time with people in our church, so hear me, I am not talking about individuals here. I'm talking about a sexual revolution, a cultural revolution that is destroying God's design and the way people think. You can't be a feminist if you can't define a woman, right? You can't be for women if there's no such thing as a woman, right? So listen to one pastor back in North Carolina who, who, who writes this. He's, look, if you take a class at a, a state university, your professors are going to talk this way. And they won't even realize they're making absolutely no sense and contradicting themselves. All, these are all sentences that you're, you hear these days and will hear if you go to a university. Or, or just read the paper. Gender is a social construct. In other words, we just make it up, period. At the same time, and now he's not saying these things are true. He's saying this is how people talk, yes? At the same time, it's always good when women can break glass ceilings, you know, go up higher in businesses. We should celebrate all the first we see women do because women are certainly not men. By women, of course, I mean anything, anyone who identifies as a woman, including people we used to know as men. Sex is a socially derived category that assigns certain physical differences and labels those differences as male or female. There are no immutable distinctions between men and women. We're all on a spectrum. We can all change unless we're talking about sexual desires, coming out as gay or lesbian is something we should all be proud of because people can't change the way they were born. In fact, it should be illegal for doctors and counselors and religious leaders to try to change people who are born a certain way. But some people definitely should be able to change the way they were born in terms of gender, 
And doctors and counselors and religious leaders should do everything they can to encourage this change. Sometimes our bodies don't align with our true selves. Never forget your self-identity is your genuine identity. Except when it comes to race. Uh, your self-identity is your genuine identity. Except when it comes to race and ethnicity. You should never claim an ethnic or racial identity that isn't yours. Be very careful what you eat and what you wear. You can't just appropriate someone else's culture. But you can't appropriate someone else's gender or go with no gender at all. We've all been socialized into a gender system that tells us how to think and act. And the sooner we do away with the notion of gender binary altogether, the better. But just remember, women have been held back by the evils of patriarchy. Women are oppressed. Men are oppressors. That's a fact. Not that women or men are anything more than a fluid and culturally conditioned modes of self-identification. Obviously, still, we shouldn't do away with women's sports. It's essential every college have many, as many sports for women as for men. We must have equal opportunities for both sexes. Sports for women, sports for men. Those categories are absolutely critical. Uh, unless there's a man who wants to be on the women's team, and, she, and it goes on. He goes on and on, and he, but he ends it this way. Don't worry, the less you think about it, the more it will make sense. <laughs> it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Now, again, hear me. Hear me. L listen, please make a distinction between people who are caught up in an incredibly confused society. But here's the truth of the Bible. We don't get to the very goodness of creation until we get humanity made in God's image, male and female. You see, God makes us male and female to image himself in his unity and diversity in who he is as Father, Son, and Spirit. And he makes us male and female so that we'll be fruitful and multiply together as male and female and demonstrate who God is and glorify him in our relationships because we're different, but we can be unified and treat each other with mutual respect. See, if, if you blow up these categories, you're actually blowing up one of the main ways God wants to glorify himself, image himself, and bring joy to our lives. These aren't just sort of practical, incidental, do-whatever-you-want things. And so following Jesus, doing all he commands, needs to include our sexual morality, our view of men and women, our view of what sex is for, what marriage is for. We don't say, well, it's just about Jesus and nothing he taught. So following Jesus means being men and women of conviction on everything, not beating people up with it, not even assuming they'll see things the way you do, even though God made them in, their, in his image. But what we need to realize is we're just going to be hated. Let's not be hated because we're jerks, but let's be willing to be hated because we stand for the truth in all areas of our lives, whatever it is, right? So... If you were to say, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't care about racism, that doesn't work, right? If you laugh at racist jokes, you're not obeying Jesus. So, so we've got to be consistent in our view of what Jesus taught and obeying and doing what he says and showing our love for him in that way. But we're going to be hated. Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. These things I command you so you will love one another. See, it's love. If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, the beauty of this is, is when we're hated, we love. Jesus is dying on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. See, we don't respond with hate to hate. We respond with love and forgiveness, and kindness, and, and loving people even when they hate us. William Tyndale, who was 
burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English, was burned at the stake because the king didn't want the trouble that was causing. And as he's dying, he cried out, God, please change the heart of the king. As he's being killed for what he did. But we're going to be hated. It's part of the deal. Do you know the, the seal and the motto of Harvard is veritas? Truth. Truth in Latin. But you go to a place like Harvard now, and it's anything but a place of truth. It's anything but a place that truth even thinks exists. And so we've got to be the people of truth that God has given us in his word. And I don't have time for the, uh, I just got to do it real quick. And we've got to know um, what, what really matters and the things that don't. And so for Christians, there are absolutes that define the Christian faith. It's stuff we've been talking about this week, who God is, who Jesus is, what it means to be saved, the authority of scripture. And then there are convictions that we have that matter, that we plant flags on, like things, things I was just talking about, that really matter. They don't define Christianity centrally, but they're essential to living out our Christian lives. And then there are opinions you have that you can agree to disagree on, and then there are questions that you don't think are answered in the Bible. But here's the thing. We live in an age where everybody seemingly, increasingly wants to turn absolutes and convic convictions into questions and opinions to just agree to disagree in some kind of fake unity. Unity and truth is what God calls us to, not just everybody getting along and singing kumbaya. And, and these are the kinds of things you ask to decide where things should go in those circles. Biblical, you know, this is in a book I wrote, I came up with this, in, it's in a little book called Life's Biggest Questions. But I just wanted to give this to you so you have a sense. Very few Christians think about how you decide what's important and what's less important. How clear is it in the Bible? How related to the character of God is it? How relevant is it to the gospel? How often is it taught in the Bible? What effect does it have on other teachings in the Bible? What have Christians believed through the history of the church and today? What effect does it have on personal life and church life? And you can't see this one, but it's really important. Where is cultural pressure coming to compromise on these things? Those are the times we need to plant flags in different ways. Okay, I don't have time for that. But, but here we go. We'll be hated. I hope, I hope it's clear. Um, listen, this is where we are. This is Isaiah speaking in his day. But listen, is, does this describe our time or what? Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. If you take a stand for truth and righteousness and God's glory and God's design, you'll be hated. You'll be considered a terrible person. And we want to love people in the midst of that, and we don't want to have self-righteousness in our hearts at all, but we want to be people of truth who live the truth and proclaim the truth centrally about Jesus, but then everything he commands. So um, let's, let's move on. Uh, this, this is Leah. Shab Shab I almost get choked up every time I see, see her picture. Um, this is Leah Sabiru. She is from Nigeria. And four years ago, she attended a Christian school with 110 students. And Boko Haram, uh, a militant Islamic group, came in and we're going to take all the girls, and eventually did take the girls, but said that they would let them go if they would renounce their faith in Jesus. And they all did, except for Leah. And word is she's alive, but four years later, she's still kidnapped. She's still being held in captivity because she won't deny Jesus. 
She's, she was 15 when she was taken. She's 19 now. She's living in captivity because this girl would not denounce her faith in Jesus and renounce it. And, and I just look at the courage of this, this girl, and I'm humbled by it, and I'm encouraged by it. This is a trip we took to northern India, my wife and me and some friends. But we met this young lady, and she is from a Hindu family. And actually, she became a Christian, led to Christ by this pastor and his amazing wife. And, and when she became a Christian and went home and told her family, yeah, I believe in Jesus, they were like, okay, just add him to all the gods we already believe in. But a month later, when she was baptized, they disowned her. And she never saw her family again. And... This pastor and his wife know that when you lead a young lady to Christ from a Hindu family, you not only get a new member of your church, you get a new daughter. And so they adopted her as their daughter, not legally, but they, they took care of her knowing that when she became a Christian, she was saying goodbye to her earthly family. You see, we don't have this kind of persecution yet in this country, but I think I will be dead and gone, and you will see a level of persecution in this country that I have never seen. I see it coming, and we need your generation to be courageous and trust God, and the way you're going to do that is by the Spirit's work. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, Jesus says. The Spirit of truth will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. When the Helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you've got to deeply care that they understand the truth. Because people die in their sins because they refuse to love the truth. So if you want to love people, you've got to help them love the truth. Because we are saved and sanctified by the truth. And the truth sets us free. So if you love people... You've got to care that they know and love and accept the truth. You don't love people by just being nice. You don't love people by just affirming them no matter what. You love people by obeying Jesus and being men and women of character and integrity who can set an example of what someone who's not of this world, although in it, looks like. So people can see the difference and know the difference. And that's what God calls us to, an adventure of following him, depending on the spirit, the spirit of truth to lead us to truth and then enable us to lead other people to truth. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew that don't be afraid what you'll say when you get dragged before authorities. The spirit will give you the words in that very hour, what you should say. He will enable you to stand strong and be men and women of truth who follow the one who is the way, the truth and the life. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the joy of being on the adventure of following you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life and teaching of Jesus, which has changed everything in this world. Lord, help us to understand that the truth is what brings life. Help us to understand that as we seek to love people, in a very confused, distorted world that is opposed to so much of who Jesus is and what he's about and what it means to obey everything he's commanded. Lord, help us to be people who understand the truth, know it, love it, and live it, and proclaim it from the rooftops. 
Lord, give us courage. Give us strength. I pray for these dear young people who are going to see a level of persecution that my generation is not going to see. Lord, they'll be hated in ways that, that I have never come close to being hated. So, Lord, give them strength. Give them backbone. Give them courage and conviction. Give them an understanding that Jesus is their life. And although they'll be hated along the way as they're his ambassadors, the spirit of truth, the helper, will come and enable them to be the people you've created and called them to be. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.